We are so glad to be here. This is such an honor this morning to be able to do this. We've enjoyed our time uh, here in the, in the uh, church family in Valley Center. Uh, we, got, we got to California about the same time COVID hit. So uh, we didn't come much for the first year, but we've been engaging more and more the last few months. And it's been a privilege to meet so many of you. And it's kind of tough to keep all of the names straight as we're getting to know people. But one of the things that is interesting, uh, for most of my life, I've been Pastor Tony. And, uh, and uh, my, your Pastor Tony has been the son of Pastor Tony. And uh, so I, I've met different people, and we, we meet, and, and we say, hi, my name's Tony, and my wife's name's Sandy, and we get a cordial greeting, and it's very warm and very genuine. We appreciate it. And then somebody will come up, usually maybe Elisa or somebody, Tony will come up and, and say, this is, uh, this is Tony's mom and dad. Have you met Tony's mom and dad? And then they say, oh, you're Pastor Tony's father. And so suddenly my status just gets elevated to this place it never was before. And uh, you know how that makes me feel? It makes me feel great that God is using our son in such a significant way. And uh, we rejoice in that. But we've, en- we've enjoyed our time. It's been wonderful to get to know people. It's wonderful to hear the word of God so clearly proclaimed from this pulpit week after week. And I certainly rejoice in that, and I'm blessed by it. And, uh, you know, I've been a pastor for so many years, you know, uh, and studied the word, and, and you would think I know it all, right? No. Uh, it's amazing how many times, uh, whether it's uh, Pastor Dave or Pastor Tony or, uh, or Pastor Paul or, or different ones who've been up here proclaiming the word week after week as you sit, you listen to the proclamation of the word of God, it comes to your heart and hits you in a new way and God brings you back to uh, what you're supposed to be grounded in in terms of your relationship with him. So uh, we rejoice in the faithfulness of this church and uh, it's just so, it, beca- it becomes really very, I'm very sincere. It's an honor to share the word of God with you this morning. So before we dig in, uh, let's pray. Uh, you know, we come to the word of God. It's living, powerful, sharper than a double-edged sword. The Bible says it judges the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Let's ask God to let his word do what he wants it to in our hearts and minds this morning. Heavenly Father, even so, we come to your word. We recognize that it's your word and we want to treat it uh, We want to treat it right. We want to proclaim what you say, not what we, just what we want to make it say. So we pray, Lord, that we would be true to what your word says. We pray that your spirit would guide and direct in all of the words that are spoken, that they wouldn't just be my words, but they would be your words and your thoughts that you want to direct to us this morning to comfort us and encourage us and convict us and move us along the way to becoming more like Jesus Christ. In his name we ask it. Amen. This morning we're going to look at Psalm 139. So if you have a Bible, you can open up there. Psalm 139. Uh, As we we get there... um, and we're going to look at this psalm. Uh, this, I think this is my wife's favorite psalm. Um, I have heard her 
literally dozens of times, uh, refer people and tell them, you need to go and read Psalm 139. Uh, usually it's when people are going through trying times and troubles and hardships or, or through things that make them question, and she'll refer them, go to Psalm 139. There's such a wealth here of things that are a comfort to us and an encouragement to us. And uh, it really lifts up the greatness and the power of the God that we serve. And so we come to Psalm 139 today, and, and that's my prayer, is that we will see really how great God is and how much he cares for us and loves us. So with that, with that said, let's dig in to Psalm 139. And, um, you know, I grew, I grew up, uh, you know, I had my Bible and, um, you know, I would underline it. I, I'd listen to, to sermons I'd underline. I'd mark things. I'd put notes in the margin. And uh, my, my, it, it, my Bible became such an important part of the development of me in my relationship with God, especially when I was young. Uh, we don't have that so much today. I imagine most of you are here without a Bible, though I do see, I see a lot of Bibles opened up here in the front. The further back you get, the less Bibles you see, you know? Uh, <laughs> a lot of people don't, you don't bring a Bible, right? You've, you've got it on your phone. Uh, I, find, I find more often than not now, I read my Bible on my phone uh, because my eyesight's not, it's gotten worse and it's just easier to see on my phone. So I find more often than not that I read it on my phone. There's, it's a double-edged sword. Uh, one thing, you, wherever you go, you have your, your Bible. You can spend time and, and uh, look at it. The problem is it's not nearly as uh, impactful as when you have a Bible that's marked and you're sitting and you're thumbing through your Bible and you, you come across passages that God has spoke to you through before and you read them afresh and, and it just refreshes your memory and your heart and you become more familiar with the whole passage that's there. I think that's more difficult for us in this age of electronics. So for you young people, I think the challenge is greater for you uh, because many of you don't have a Bible that you're actually marking and going to. And you, you depend on that electronic device, but it's not as easy to mark and to thumb through and to know. So, uh, so you have to take the challenge uh, because God wants us to become men and women of the word. People who know the word. It's, this, is, this is the revelation of God. This is the word of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in us and we want the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us. How will the Holy Spirit do that if we're unfamiliar with what he has written in his word? Uh, God is inter interested in us becoming. Uh, the people that he wants us to be interested in us becoming like Christ. And he's given us this so that we will. Psalm 139, uh, it, it uh, opens up and it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path, my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Uh, the, the first idea here this morning is that God knows you. God knows you. 
the, the knowledge of God's amazing. You know, God, we, we use the big word omniscient. God is all-knowing. There's nothing God doesn't know. You know, God never uses Google. You know that? God doesn't, God doesn't need to. I, I, we live in such a world that we're flooded with information, more so than any time in history. Uh, we, we know so much. Technology is booming. Are you amazed at things? I, 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 I uh, looked, I, I googled to see what the fastest supercomputer is now. It's in Japan. It does a quadrillion computations per second. <laughs> Can you imagine that? I, I mean, how, how, do you, how do you wrap your brain around that, right? Quadrillion computations per second. And, and they're working on one, probably come into play within the next year or two that will make that one seem slow. That's amazing. It's amazing. I also, said, I also wondered, and so I Googled, uh, what's the comparison between a supercomputer and the human brain? And you know, it said that the human brain is, the supercomputer doesn't compare with the, what the human brain does. Uh, you know, that's your brain inside your body. It does all these things. It puts, it, it, the supercomputer doesn't even compare with it. Think about all the things your brain does that, that, that you don't ever think about it doing, but it's thinking about it. Uh, you're sitting here this morning, your heart's beating, you're breathing, normal rate, you're not even thinking about it. You know, all the internal organs are doing their processes, you're not thinking about it, but they're doing it. You're glad they're doing it, right? You're glad, because otherwise we'd all be falling over here. Uh, you, all the movements and things, you, you decide that your ear itches and you reach up and eat your ear, and, and you don't suddenly poke yourself in the eye. You know, it's, it's all that's your brain. And then, and then you have all of the other things it does. Everything you see, you look around, every, every time your eye takes movement, your, your brain is processing all that information that comes through the lens of your eyes and, and focusing everything. And, and then all of the thoughts we have, our, our brains are, are amazing. They're greater than the supercomputers that men have designed and continuing to design. And, and the knowledge of God is way beyond any of that. There's nothing that God doesn't know. God has never been surprised. God will never be surprised. God knows everything. So, so one thing, it's one thing to know that God knows everything. We're, we're good with that. Okay, God knows everything. But the psalmist here this morning, the psalmist wants us to look and see that God knows you. God knows you. You know, the, the, it opens up here, it says, the Lord has searched me. You, you notice in your, in your, Engl in your Bibles, in, in, every, in the English translations, wherever you have the word Lord, and it's all capitals, you see that in mind, the L's a little bit bigger, but they're all capitals, L-O-R-D. Wherever you have the Lord, all capitals, it's the name Jehovah. Jehovah did this. And, and who is Jehovah? Jehovah is, first reveals himself by that name to Moses, right? At the burning bush, Moses is wondering about going back to, to uh, Egypt to lead out the people of Israel. And Moses says to God, who will I, who will I say is sending me? They don't want to listen to me. 
And God says, you tell them that I am has sent you. That's the name Jehovah. Jehovah is the I am. Uh, the, the idea of I am is that God is always in the present. You, tell, you go back, you tell them the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, the God who has made the covenants with them, he is the one who has sent you, and he is about to fulfill the covenant that he made with Abraham that he would bring you out. And so, that, so this is the first place where we have the name Jehovah. He's the I am, means he's always present, and he is, he's always associated with being the covenant-making God. So here's a God who wants to make promises to us and who keeps his promises, who is the I am, the one who's always in the present. He says, I know you. I know you. We see this reflected in Jesus Christ in himself because we don't just look at this through the eyes of the psalmist. We look at these through the eyes of Christians today back through the, through, through the New Testament and we realize that when Jesus was here, what did he say when, when he was confronted with the Pharisees? Um, and the, Phar- the Pharisees say, are, were saying to him, are you greater than our father Abraham that you're telling us this? And what was Jesus' response? Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And the Pharisees immediately knew what Jesus was implying. Immediately their thoughts went back to Moses. And the one who sent Moses was Jehovah, the I am. And immediately they pick up stones to stone him because he, he being a human being, claimed to be God. And Jesus didn't stop them and say, wait a minute, guys, wait a minute, guys, you've misunderstood. You've misunderstood. He didn't do that. Why? Because Jesus is Jehovah in the flesh. He's the one who knows us. Kind of helps us understand some of the people that Jesus encountered during his lifetime. Remember Nathaniel came to Jesus? And as Nathaniel was coming, Jesus said, behold, a Hebrew in whom is no guile. And, he, and Nathaniel says, how do you know me? And Jesus said, I knew you and I saw you even while you were under the fig tree before Philip came to you. And immediately Nathaniel realized that he was with someone who knew him well, who, who shouldn't have known him. Or how about Zacchaeus? Jesus is in a crowd and walking under a tree and this little Jewish man is up in the tree and he stops under the tree and he calls him by name. Zacchaeus, you come down for today I need to go to your house. He called him by name. He knew him by name. How, or how about Simon Peter? When, when he first met Simon, he said, your name is Simon, but I will call you Peter. Why? Because Jesus saw even before Simon did, what he would make of Peter and what Peter would become because Jesus knew him. Jehovah knows him. God knows us. Now go back to the text again here. It says, it's talking about the intimacy with which God knows us. It says, uh, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. The idea here is that, uh, that God has, that God's dug into it. Not just that, you know, you are one of 7.8 billion people in the world right now. We'll be at 8 billion people in, within the next couple of years. 8 billion people in the world. 
you are one of eight billion people. You're a, you're a speck. You know, there's, there's, a, what, there's a few hundred here this morning. I, I've met, you know, a, a couple dozen of you probably, and I'm still trying to remember the names. Remember the name? Wow, what was that name? George, Sally? God knows every one of us by name, and he has looked deep into each of our lives. You're not, you're not just, God doesn't just glance past you. God knows you have searched me and you have known me. It's digging in and it's personal. God knows us on a personal level. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. He knows your thoughts. Oh. Sorry. He knows your thoughts from afar. You search out my path. You know where I'm going. You know where I'm planning to go. Places I shouldn't go that sometimes I go. You know my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before. This is talking about how intimate God gets with us that we're, we're not getting away. He's, he's there. He says, your hand is upon me. It's kind of an allusion to the practice in the Old Testament where they would place their hand on someone and give a blessing. There, there's, you know, there's power when we make human physical contact. One of, the, one of the down things I think about COVID and, and this idea of social distancing, it's not good for us never to have human contact. I don't mean just interaction verbally, uh, but physical contact is a good thing. And he lays his hand upon us uh, because he loves us. And and so he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too high. I I can't attain it. I, I can't, can you? I can't comprehend it. I can't understand it. Uh, The psalmist in another psalm says, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you should care for him. What are we that God should, but God does. God knows us. That's how big God, imagine the capacity of God. You you say, well, that's impossible. This is the God who, with a very word, spoke the universe into existence. He's that powerful, but he also is personal. He cares for you. So we have this idea here that, that God knows us. That can be comforting when you're going through hard times. God knows. It's all right. God knows. Um, and this, never, this is something we never get past. Um, it was comforting to us when, before I had my heart transplant and I was having the heart difficulties and everything. It was comforting to know God knows. God knows this. Uh, more recently, though, we got out here to California. I was having some terrible breathing problems uh, and, and really thought probably I would never preach again because it was just, I, it was just tough breathing. I was coughing all the time and, and uh, breathing, breathing was difficult. And, and the doctors have, I think, gotten to the root of it. And, you know. But in the process, in that process, I had to keep telling myself, God knows, this is not something that 
you know, God didn't plan on, God didn't know. God knows, that's comforting. But there also is an element, right, that's kind of convicting. (laughs) There are things I know about me that you don't know, and I will never tell you. (laughs) Because I don't want you to know. I don't want you to know. There are things I'm ashamed of, things I've thought, things I've done. Now you're wondering, aren't you? (laughs) What's he done? But God knows. It's not hidden from him. God knows. So at that point, now it becomes convicting, but it also makes us want to, to go away from God. When somebody really knows you, uh, you don't really all the time want to spend time with them, right? This becomes a difficulty in marriage. We get married, we don't really know the person we marry, right? You don't really know them. Not like you know them after a week of marriage. (laughs) Much less after a year of marriage. You know, we get to know each other on a different level. This is one of the difficulties. This is, you know, some people... You know, they say, well, we fell out of love or we're not compatible and, and they you want to move on to, to some other person. Uh, that's, a, that's a mistake. Uh, really, we need to let those things reveal to us what's in our heart and see what God can do because God wants to change us and transform us. But that's a whole different message. Okay, so, so God knows us. Okay, the next thing, starting in verse 7, Because it's convicting, sometimes we want to run from God. So my point here is that God pursues us. God pursues us. Or we might might look at it from the standpoint, God is with us. Uh, Depending on the perspective and where you're at in life, either God pursues us or God is with us. It says here, verse 7, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I go to the depths of Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. So you see both elements in in these verses, right? You see the shying away, maybe wanting to get out of God's sight. I don't want God to see this. I don't want God to to know this, but I know that he does. And so we, we try to go away from it. He puts his hand on us. God's always, God's desire is always to draw us to himself. God's desire always is that, that we take those things that we are convicted of that we confess them and that we are brought back into fellowship with him. But our tendency in our own pride is to want to draw away. And as we draw away, um, we begin to become more hard-hearted if we continue to do that. We come to the place even where we begin to deny that God's there. We begin to deny God. God's not really there. God doesn't care. This is all just stuff I've been taught, you know, and, and my conviction's not real. My guilt is not real. But those things are real, and, and they need to be dealt with. God is with us. God pursues us. 
I'm glad that God pursues us and brings us to himself. And we eventually, people, there's so many stories, and there could be hundreds of stories told here of the, the events of life that have finally led us to the place that we acknowledge God and we confess our sins and we're made one with him. Um, once we are, this, this is a tremendous comfort, this idea that God is, God is with us. Um, I remember before my heart transplant, I was having some significant heart troubles. They had really just kind of begun. I was having some ventricular tachycardias. And, um, and they were, at first they were controlled by some medication and then, then the medication wasn't working. And we were in the hospital. We'd been there, I'd been in the hospital for a couple days. And uh, the uh, cardiologist came in and, and said, you know, I, I think... Uh, we should try some ablations. And ablations were fairly new then. We lived in Peoria, Illinois. He said, I want you to, I want to send you to Indianapolis. Uh, there's some doctors there that have some more experience with ablations than we do here. So I want you to go to Indianapolis and we'll try these ablations to see if it can, can correct the problems in your, in your heart system. And, um, uh, and, and they said, they, and they wanted to send me by ambulance from Peoria to Indianapolis. It's about a five or six hour drive to Indianapolis from Peoria. And it was going to cost $1,500. And, uh, and, and we didn't have $1,500. And, you know, it's one of those, you get in those situations, right, where you're looking at stuff and you well, how, you know, what do we do here? Because I don't have the money for that and they want me to go here and... And we said, well, how about we just, my wife will drive me to Indianapolis. He said, oh, I don't know if you should do that. You know, this, this could die. You could die from this. Um, I remember the cardiologist saying that more than once. My, my attitude apparently was not as somber to him as it should be because he would be telling me what was going on and I'd be speaking with him. And he'd say, you know, this is serious. <laughs> and I'd say, I, I know, I know it's serious. But, you know, God's in control, so. Uh, so anyway, they went to send them, and we got, bottom line, we said, no, we're not going to pay $1,500 because the insurance wouldn't pay for that. And if the insurance would have paid for it, I said, okay, put me in the ambulance, let's go. If the insurance wasn't going to pay for it, it was going to be on me. And so I said, no, I'm not paying $1,500 because I feel fine. I had been feeling fine for over, you know, for over a day, and, and the tachycardias would kind of come randomly, the chances of me having one on the way to Indianapolis, they were slim, you know. I said, oh, you could have an attack and it could kill you. And, and, I mean, that's true. You know, a lot of people die of these attack cardiacs. What happens is your heart starts to beat so fast that it's not pumping the blood. And uh, so, anyway, bottom line, we, we decided we would go. And so you can imagine there was a little concern on our part. Because they made us, okay, you have to sign yourself out so we are not responsible for what happens to you. And so we did that. And we started out from Peoria to go to Indianapolis. It was mid-afternoon. And we left from the hospital, which is right on the, uh, right, right along the Illinois River that runs through Peoria. And as we were crossing the bridge on our way to leave Peoria to go to Indianapolis, there was this amazing rainbow that crossed over the Illinois River. 
And I remember pointing out to my wife and saying, you know, that's just a sign that God is with us. Uh, so this can be a tremendous, this is tremendously comforting when we know that God, God is with us. God pursues us. There's no place you go that you're away from God. Every place you go, God goes with you. Then he goes on to say in the next section, starting at verse uh, um, thank you. Who said that? Verse 13, starting verse 13. The idea here is that God made you. God not only knows you. How are we doing with time, by the way? They tell me there's a time. I see. Oh, my goodness. I've got five minutes left. Okay. Now we switch to short version. <clears throat> God made, God made, he not only knows you and is with you, he made you. He made you. We know that God created man from the dust of the ground, breathed in him the breath of life. Genesis 1 tells us God created them. God said, let us make man in our image. So he created a male and female. So we know God formed man to start with. So, okay, God created Adam and Eve. We were just born as a result of, you know, our parents getting together and giving birth to a child. No. No. Yeah, I mean, yes, but no. <laughs> God, you're not here by accident. God formed you. Look at what it says. It says, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Yeah, you were born through a mother, but God had his hand in it. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me as when as yet there was none of them. God knew me before I was born. God had his hand in making me who I am. I just want to say here, you know, I have a lot of things to say here, but, but let me say a couple things. I, I, I had been in church all my life, and it was not until I was a young adult uh, that, I, that I was sitting in a service just like this, and what the, what the minister was saying helped open my eyes to see this. There were things about me that I didn't like. Uh, I, I, have, my, I didn't like my eyesight. My eyes moved back and forth. Uh, that's a whole, whole big story, but my eyesight wasn't the best. I'll never be a golfer because if I hit a golf ball, I have no idea where it went. I go to a baseball game, and I love to go to our, my grandson's baseball games. Uh, but, but really, I see the pitch being made. I see the ball coming in for the pitch. But once the ball is hit, I have no idea where it went. I'm, I'm watching the players to see who's reacting. Oh, it went to right field. You know? I'm, I'm one of those guys that's, that's, you know, I'm comfortable if I'm behind the big, big backstop, you know. And every once in a while, you know, a foul ball will go up and somebody will say, heads up, 
and I'm going, oh, man. <laughs> I can see it if it's coming right at me. If it's coming right at me, I can see it, but I have a hard time tracking it. Well, you know, I wasn't, because of that, I wasn't very good at athletics. I, I, I you know, I didn't, I, I thought God made a mistake. I mean, I didn't think of it that way. I just didn't like my eyesight. I didn't like my stature. I was small for my age. Didn't start really growing till till later in high school. And so, you know, there were things I didn't like about me. And, you know, when, you, when there are things you don't like about you, it makes you not see the things that are really good about you that God has done. Because you're concentrating on those things that you don't like. And the person in this, in this service, as the person was talking about that, he said, you know that is sin. When you, don't think, when you can't thank God for making you, you, that is sin. I never looked at it that way. I said, whoa, that's not sin. I'm just not happy with it. Well, who are you not happy with? Well, I'm not happy with God. He's the one who formed me. If you're not happy with God, you're not going to call that sin. What are you going to call it? It's sin. And I remember confronting that and saying, you know, God, I'm so sorry. Because I know that your works are always good. And, and what you have in store for me is, is good. And I thank you for making me, me. And this needs to be true for all of us. You are created by God. You are unique. There is nobody else like you in the world. You are here for a purpose. You are important to the church body because of the gifts and abilities and personality that you bring. Everybody is of value. I heard uh, Mark Lowry some time ago, and uh, one of the things that stuck with me is uh, he was talking about this very thing, about the amazing how amazing God's creation is and how amazing each one of us are as God's creation. And he said, you are unique. He said, look at your thumb. There's, there's, there's nobody who has the same thumbprint you have. Look at that. Every, every one of us, all the billions of us in the world have a different thumbprint. He said, you know, you are somebody. <laughs> Funny, isn't it? It has stuck with me. This is who we, we are. I am uniquely God's creation. And the next point, because we're... <laughs> the next point in the psalm is that not only did God make you, but God has a plan for you. And it's, 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 it's in the, verse, the end of verse 16. And the implication of those words at the end of verse 16 is that God ordained the, the works of your life before one of them came to be. God ordained the days of your life before one of them was. God's got a plan for you. So it's also reflected in the New Testament in that great passage in Ephesians chapter 2 where it talks about how we're saved by grace and it's not by works so that no man can boast. And the very next verse, verse 10 in that passage, says you are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. You are here at this time in history and in this place for a reason because God has put you here. Can I just uh, take a, a few minutes? A yes. Yes. Couple, couple minutes here to talk, to talk about our response. 
the response in the Psalms? We, we got to look real quickly. The first response is one of amazement. He says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. They are more than the sand. I awake and I will be with you. Uh, he's just amazed. Wow. Wow. You know, uh, kind of in, interwoven in this idea of the psalm is not only does God know us and he's with us and he made us, but in, in, in interwoven in that is that he loves us. You see that, don't you? We really see it from the New Testament perspective, how much he loves us. We sing the, we, it's, we sing the song this morning. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful is the Savior's love for me. Amazing. My wife had a, had a uh, magnet thing that was on our refrigerator for years. And uh, we took it down when we, when we moved, and I don't know where it's at. And, and you know, I, would, I looked at it often, but you know, uh, I, I just, from the time she took it down, I kept trying to remember, what, what, how was, how'd that saying go? And I can't remember. <laughs> It'll show back up sometime. But I, the essence of it was this, that he who knows me best loves me most is mystery to my intellect, but comfort to my soul. Isn't that true? It's amazing. So, so we need to be amazed. The second thing is, you know, if you look at this, you go into the Psalm, verse, what is it, verse 19? Verse, uh, verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! Oh, men of blood, depart from me! <laughs> you know, you're reading through this Psalm, and you stop and you say, whoa, 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 whoa. Is that a, is that a misprint? Did I, did I jump to Psalm 140? What did I do? How, you know, you're in this amazing psalm of comfort and God being with you, and, and all of a sudden he's calling down judgment on people. I mean, doesn't that fly in the face of you're supposed to love your neighbor? <laughs> it says, oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Wow. Whew. What's this saying? Why is that in the psalm? What's he saying? I think he's saying that, that, you know, once you understand who God is and what our relationship should be with him and what God's trying to do, and then you listen to voices of influence in our world that tell you that there is no God, and who are living horrendous lives and tell you that it's all right. There's a place for righteous indignation. There's a place to be angry. I think the psalmist is saying, God, take away, take away these voices that would distract people from knowing you. Take them away. So anyway, we can't say more about that. Got to move on. But, but I think that's a proper response. They're horrendous. Aren't you amazed you look at stuff in the news? It's horrendous stuff. And so far from us as those who are living 
in close relationship with God is so far from us. We say, how can people do that? Because of where sin takes us. Sin always takes us away. And then just so we know that the psalmist is not just being judgmental, he closes the psalm with this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. It's a statement of awareness. The, the psalmist is aware. He, he's angry at the voices that take people away from God. He's angry at what sin does. But he's also aware that sin is in him as well. The heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can fathom it? And the psalmist knows that sin is there. And so he's saying to the God who knows him, he's saying to him, search me, dig into my life, know my thoughts, and reveal to me, see the grievous ways, the sinful ways that are in me, and reveal them to me so that I can confess and move in a different direction, lead me in the paths that are everlasting, lead me to live in the same way that we will live in heaven in the same in ways that are pleasing to you, in ways that are everlastingly good. God, help us. Help us to see the sin in ourselves and to deal with it. Help us to be comforted with the fact we're never outside of your eyes. We're never outside of your care. We're never outside of your embrace. You are always with us, and we can trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.